My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be huddling in quarantine. And this is an unhuddled, uncensored Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this uncensored podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these uncircumcised ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan and wants to introduce him to a podcast where they just said uncircumcised in the intro, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, that's burnnoticed with a D. And that's a D with a foreskin. <laughs> oh. Horrific. So you're no yeah. longer huddled in quarantine? You're, you're ready for hot girl summer finally? I am ready for hot girl sun- summer finally. Yeah, I have like officially, I am now like vaccinated and like past the two week state where like I am fully vaccinated and I went out yesterday and like had drinks and it was nice and I'd missed it because like, especially because historically, like, I'm a very introverted person who does not want to go out and do things. But I think, like, the combination of, like, being in quarantine for a year and then, like, kind of knowing myself better means that, like, it just feels so much better to, like, go out. Yeah, it's it's been... Uh, my calendar what? says I'm busy. Stop slacking me. That, what was um, that noise that you just made? Ah. But like it sounded like you were trying to like swallow the microphone. You're like, yeah. <laughs> it just it took me by surprise. But yes, highly agree. You ever like see one of those toys where it's like a big rod and it's got like a thing in it and you turn it? Yeah, that's what you sounded like. <laughs> Once again, we're recording while I am technically at work. So sometimes Slack messages come through when I've forgotten to mute my computer and I oh, make yeah. I have that children's sometimes. toy sounds. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you're you're starting to have uh, a fully actualized hot girl summer. Exactly. It's no, very I'm very exciting. I am very into it. Yes, it's last year was hot girl summer. Or was it year before? When was the original hot girl summer? I mean, every summer uh, is hot girl summer. Sure. I feel like I mostly just have sweaty girl summers. I hate summer. I don't want to move to Los Angeles. (laughs) It's the, yeah, you're not going to like it here. It was so hot yesterday going out. And I was like going uh, with my roommate who likes to walk everywhere. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to walk to the bus stop and walk to the train. And it's like, and they walk so much faster than I do. So it's just like, I was so sweaty by the end of it. But, But thankfully now I don't like wear all these clothes that like totally cover my body and make me super sweaty. That's helpful. That is very helpful. Definitely helpful. Things that like breathe. Cal- hashtag California lifestyle. Technically, when this episode comes out, I will have moved to California last week. But spoiler alert, that'll be my intro next week. So wait until then to yeah. travel through time in an especially confusing manner. Exactly. Um, do, you, do you want to talk about burn notice? Let's talk about burn notice. Specifically, today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 13, called Damned If You Do, which aired November 3rd, 2011, was written by Daddy and directed by Steven Sergic. So, pretty classic 
OG Bernetta's crew here. And the IMDb description of this episode, if you're curious, is that Anson forces Michael to kidnap a computer hacker, Oswald, to find a virus he created that can wipe the records of a person undetected. But Anson isn't the only one after the virus. Here's the thing. This IMDb description is circumcised. <laughs> it is circumcised because they this don't mention the other. circumcised IMDb description. Although, and when we get to the weeds, we'll talk about this more fully. This is a very interesting burn in this episode because it's one of the very few where it's kind of a lore episode. Not really yeah. a lore episode, but like, but like it's yeah. definitely it's like an it's, arc I mean, there's, episode. There's not a there's not a separate client. Both plots yeah. have to do with the same the same thing. And yeah, both and like, macro plots. And they like eventually like land on something that feels pretty standard burn notice, but like the way that they get there is so much more connected to like the overarching mythology and plot. Yeah, it definitely it doesn't feel like a procedural episode because so much of it, you know, is contingent right. upon understanding what has happened up to this point. Exactly. Which I enjoyed. Which and I, I will say too. This, is, this is the thing that This is one of my favorite daddies. Daddy, this daddy wrote a good episode again. I'm yeah, excited no, this about- is one of my favorite. This is like probably like one of my top three Big Daddy Nick's episodes. I don't know if you noticed. I've transitioned to not even referring to him by name. He's just Daddy now. He's just Daddy. Yeah, which is especially dangerous because now I like have a direct connection to him, and it makes me very uncomfortable. And also, you have a, cr- a, little bit a excited. direct connection to Daddy. I have a direct connection to Daddy through a writer on one of his other shows, which I think we're watching between this season and next season of Burn Noticed. I know Ooh. I happen to know one of the writers from APB. He he's uh, actually a former. He he's he's an alumni of the same grad program that you attended and I graduated from. So we are closer to Big Thank Daddy you for making that distinction for our audience. Yeah, I think it's important that everyone knows that while we're both dumb dumb bitches, you're the dumber one. Yes. Because definitely the last two months that I did over you, like, made a huge impact in my uh, intellectual development. You have, Mm -hmm. yes. It's very important that you have a piece of paper that I don't have. To be honest, I don't know where the piece of paper is. So we are pretty much the same. That is, that's America in a nutshell, isn't it? It's very important Mm -hmm. that I have a piece of paper that you don't have. Someday I will have many pieces of paper that many people don't have. I can't wait to be part of the 1%. Anyways, let's get into the weeds. Can I say, I really feel that about you. (laughs) That I just like, I'm so close to being a Republican. I cannot wait to be a Republican once I make it big. Yeah. No, yeah. Once, once you make it big, you are forgetting all the little people. What little people? I've never met any. I have only ever been rich and successful. I'm going to start like hate commenting on Bernadette. It's like, why do you guys hate the cops and the U.S. military? You're such like, fucking liberal no, I cucks. I like this reality where you're rich and famous, but we're still making burn notice. <laughs> but I have become like my own nemesis. And I'm not even going to pretend to be someone else. Like, I'm not even going to use a, a different name. I'm just going to be commenting after we do an episode uh, as myself on the episode about how we're liberal cucks. Oh my god. I Well, I'm looking forward to that. My experience on my end will probably be pretty much the same. Yeah. And anyway, let's go to the weeds, though. Yep. I mean, I've been in the weeds, but thank you for joining me. Okay, cool. So Fine. <laughs> the first scene is entirely without dialogue. There's just a mopey Michael Weston voiceover about how you're not supposed to love anyone if you're a spy. Otherwise, people have leverage on you as he, like, mournfully gazes at a sleeping Fiona and then he leaves. 
<laughs> so it's just like a little scene about like how sad it is to love people, but oh, yeah. just look at her face. Exactly. Uh, and how the and Jedi from- prevent attachments. <laughs> exactly. And then he burns down a library, and for some reason everyone hates that movie. It's very confusing. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. If we're going to do this, did you see the J.J. Abrams interview where he's like, maybe we should have had a plan before Maybe we should have a plan. Like popular franchises of all time. Although, like, to be fair, I, someone on Twitter I saw was talking about this who made the same point that I would make. Is that, like, it wasn't even necessarily that they needed to have a plan as much as to have, like, a cohesive vision. I mean, I think that that's an inherent part of a plan, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, like, they didn't need it's to necessarily vision? have, like, all the plot beats worked out. I mean, I guess it just, ma- it did, I, I mean, I mean, I haven't read the interview, but... Like, is that what he's saying? I, I guess it's now we're I mean, just sort of quibbling on of, the, like, the definition of plan. Well, because, like, I don't know. If we want to, like, talk about Star Wars. I've been thinking about Star Wars a lot li- lately, so. I saw you. You did, you did a big old tweet thread. I also live tweeted Solo and Rogue One and Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Star Wars lately. You know, the, the original Star Wars trilogy. The original Solo, Star Wars Rogue trilogy. One. <laughs> Solo, Rogue One, and Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, but the thing is that, like, the original Star Wars trilogy did not have a plan. Like, Well, didn't um, it come from, like, the, like, eight-hour epic that George wrote, and then everyone was like, that's too much, and he's like, fine, I'll do, like, of, one chapter of it. Really? Like, when they, when they wrote A New Hope, which wasn't called A New Hope then, when they wrote A New Hope, like, Darth Vader was not Luke Skywalker's father. Oh, yeah, no, for sure not. And, and, and like, Luke and Leia weren't siblings. <laughs> exactly. None of that shit was, like, planned. And honestly, But do you like, think that George Lucas had an initial vision? I think he had, like, a sort of initial vision, but it was sort of vague, and it was more about aesthetics than it was about, like, plot or story. He also didn't write this Empire. Was that Lawrence Kasdan? Yeah, Lawrence Kasdan and Lee Brackett. I don't like, know how I, I feel about Kazan anymore, even though Empire is my definitely my favorite Star Wars movie. Kazan wrote good fucking Star Solo. Wars movie. It's a really good Star Wars movie. Like, Everything, like, just it's so cohesive. Everything it, makes sense, even though it's fantastical and bizarre. Like, there's clear character motivations and themes happening at all times. You're never like, exactly. wait, why are they doing this? Like, there's no questioning, and there's no, like, we're, we're not, I never feel like I'm in one place for too long, because, like, I know exactly why everyone's there, and I know why it matters, and I know what the stakes are. Unlike fucking yeah. Jedi, Return of the Jedi is, <laughs> I, I mean, is it's they, a good movie, I guess, but it's obviously the worst of the original. It's trend, obviously the worst. There's, it, they just spend so much time on bizarre areas, and, like, motivations are kind of all over the place and like there isn't as clean of like a through line it's just sort of things happen and then a star wars is had yeah which like to be fair in a lot of ways the sequel trilogy is a pretty coherent remake of the original trilogy sure but i think like yeah i think that we take for granted how good empire strikes back is because we watch it as children before we have critical faculties like Empire Strikes Back is one of the first truly great movies that you ever see. So, like, you just kind of accept it as, like, well, yeah, this is great. But, like, like you're not thinking about the writing of it. And it's, like, so clever in its writing. And so, like, the way that, like, it's this really good character-motivated story. And it's also the way that it's built on, like, reveals and reversals. And, like, it's such a, it's a really 
good piece of filmmaking and storytelling. It is. But anyway, this is a podcast about Burnettas. <laughs> I was waiting for one of us to transition back. Yeah, let's talk about Burnettas. Okay, so Michael goes from a voiceover scene looking at one and hot girl. it's so funny, Empire Strikes Back. Like, it's so much... <laughs> Empire Strikes Back is so much closer tonally to the Princess Bride than you think of it being. Yeah, especially with like the Han and Leia runner throughout. Yeah. God, they're like, so hot together. Yeah, and like all the Yoda stuff is like super co- like comedic. They really You heighten. know what I will say about uh, Rise of Skywalker, which is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen, is something that is like definitely at least affected the way that I view it is I want to be a little bit more charitable to J.J. Abrams because now that I understand the context that it was supposed to be Leia's movie, but they literally hadn't filmed anything with her. That definitely does put things into perspective. I would have let, like, I don't think it would have been good because I think that there was too much conflict between the first and third and the second in the the new trilogy, but knowing and understanding the context that it was supposed to be Leia's movie and that all they had to pull from were deleted scenes from Force Awakens, like, that's tough. That's tough. Um, But also, like, apparently so much was going on with that movie. Like, it had so, like, I mean, J.J. Abrams wasn't even originally supposed to direct it. Like, and the movie... Yeah, wasn't it supposed supposed to be uh, Trevorrow? Trevorrow. And the Trevorrow movie was totally different. Like, the script for that is just a completely, completely different movie. And also, I'm pretty sure Palpatine was a studio note. Like, the studio <laughs> wanted Palpatine to be the main villain, and I don't think J.J. Abrams wanted Palpatine to be the main villain. But also... And see, I think that's the other problem, is that now that we're making movies by committee, because, like, there's so much put on just a single franchise to be everything, to be a merchandise, like, gold mine, to be, like, a billion-dollar hit, to launch eight new spinoffs so that, you know, nobody has to come up with new ideas. They can just keep making money off of an existing idea. I think that's also a problem. Like, there weren't there it weren't as many stakes. I, I, yeah, I think it might be a bad thing. I think consolidation of media is actually a problem. Yeah. Um, AT&T, uh, Warner Media, cough, mm-hmm. cough. Amazon, James Bond, cough, cough. <laughs> but I will say one thing really quickly is talking about Force Awakens. Like, Last Jedi is a movie that, like, is not at all in conflict with Force Awakens, but is, like, very specifically building on themes that Oh, 100%. Up I think that it Force makes Awakens. complete sense as a sequel, but the problem is that the first and third as a piece don't fit with it. Like, the no. third just goes in a completely different, it's a, like, bizarre direction. The, the Last Jedi is trying to be a sequel to Force Awakens, and Rise of Skywalker is also trying to be a sequel to Force Awakens. Sure. But, like, to me, like, it feels much more like the, the first and second are in conflict with the third. That's fair. Because I like Force Awakens quite a bit. Oh, yeah, Force Awakens is great. It's a very yeah. good remake of A New Hope. <laughs> exactly. And, like, Last Jedi is so much more of a remake of Empire than, like, people talk about. But, like, it also steals all the plot beats. But, like, it's just, it's remaking a much smarter, better movie. So, like, you don't think about it as much. But, yeah, I will say about the Disney Star Wars movies that, like, Force Awakens, Rogue One, and Last Jedi are three very good Star Wars movies that I like a lot. And so that's as good a track record as the original trilogy. I mean, Jedi is still good. Return of the Jedi, like, there's still a lot to like about it. Yeah. It's definitely the weakest of the three. And I think I would definitely put, like, 
Force Awakens and Last Jedi and maybe even Rogue One before it. I would too. But it's definitely like, it's still a solid movie. I still still enjoy my rewatch. I don't think I will ever rewatch Rise of Skywalker unless I have kids and I'm forced to. I probably, I will one of these days rewatch Rise of Skywalker just to do it. Just to say you have. Just so, like, I can look at it outside of my original experience of watching it and try to, like, judge what it's trying to do. It just makes me too sad to see Carrie Fisher. As I was re-listening yeah. to the Blink Check episodes of the the, the later movies, because I went through their entire Star Wars series first and I have now gone back to listen to other miniseries. And just, like, anytime they say Carrie Fisher's name, I get emotional. Yeah. Anyway. We were, we're in the weeds, right? These are weeds, right? Yeah, yeah, we're in the weeds. We've I done feel, a whole one section I, of my outline. I feel like weeds on my ankles. Yuck. So Michael is leaving the fee scene to go meet with Pierce because Pierce is doing like a security clearance interview. Basically, like they want to bump Michael's security clearance back up to, I can't tell, but it seems like back where he was prior to burn notice just like in a slightly more unofficial capacity than even he used to be but he really wants to get better security clearance and pierce is basically interviewing him and is super hostile and uh the only question that we actually hear of this security clearance interview is her asking him if to his knowledge does any like any part of the organization that burned you still exist and michael says no which also should have been daddy's answer but say lovey let's go talk to anson so then we go talk to anson and anson's concern in this meeting other than how michael's previous meeting went is that michael did too good a job uncovering their network prior to them meeting and now he wants all files and information on him completely wiped and just luckily there is a specific virus that can do just that a like magic computer virus that erases all mention of a human being from a government computer and in order to get this special virus that michael can now implement with his special security clearance that he's trying to get right now they need to find a guy named oswald patterson i think who is currently in puerto rico despite michael's protest that the cia is watching him too closely to leave miami anson threatens fiona and it is settled he's going to puerto rico he's going to puerto rico i should hate anson but i kind of like anson a lot yeah i think this is definitely like the most personal it's gotten uh, yes. for an antagonist like even gilroy wasn't that personal of an antagonist because his threats were all just sort of like general bodily harm and you know yeah. carla was nothing and victor was nothing and management we saw them like once an episode and we saw simon like twice and like so like no other antagonist has been this personal and like has had such a specific hook like yeah, previously and- it was like we'll hurt everyone and it's like well that's of course you say that you're a bad guy <laughs> but anson's having a specific like hook on fiona in particular and so especially a hook that like is not fully untrue and that like fiona feels really really terrible about i think that just adds a lot of layers that we haven't seen before and so even though it is annoying that we're going back to this fucking burn note as well like yeah, I like him. I find him compelling. I think the actor's doing a good job. He's got the right amount of like flair and down to earthness. I like his mustache. His mustache is good. He looks kind of like what's his name in the good guys. You think he looks like Bradley Whitford? J- Josh? Ja- yeah, Bradley yeah, Whitford. He kind of looks like he's got the same like look as Bradley Whitford in. But like more put together because he's obviously like richer. Right. And I like that. But he Anson's does seem like somebody superpower. who would go like 
full crazy like yes. in half a second. Totally. Like yeah, but I like how his superpower is also essentially that he's seen Burn Notice, which we always <laughs> like in a villain. We always of like course, it when yeah. a villain has seen Burn Notice. And so it's like nice to have someone when Michael says like I can't go to I can't leave Miami to go like yeah, you can fucking leave Miami. You're fucking Michael Weston. Calm the fuck down. Yeah, and he's totally right. And like they're in Puerto Rico for like a scene and a half and that's fine and it never comes up. So it's like, all right, well, I'm, I guess that worked out. You were right, Anson. Po, that's the cold open, though. So that there's three scenes in the cold open. Over voiceover scene with Fiona, interview with Pierce, conversation with Anson. Burn notice. Created by Matt Nix. Uh, so post cold open, Fee is pissed and wants to turn Anson in. She's like, just go tell the CIA. And he's Michael's like, for the, for the first time that he's going to say it in like several episodes, he's going to repeat. But Fiona, he has very specific blackmail on you. Don't you remember? You bombed an embassy. These four things happened in order. And now you're going to be blackmailed. So we we have our little <laughs> internal uh, moment of like previously on Bird Notice. And Fiona's like, ugh, you're right. She's like, well, fine. If we can't turn him in, then I'm going with you. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, setting up our, our second plot, which kind of takes the place of Case of the Week, Sam is going to try to figure out what state uh, the investigation is in into the bombing because, like, they they know that the bombing is being investigated, obviously, and so they want to see how far they've gotten to see, like, what their exposure is and, and maybe kind of cut Anson off at the pass. So that's what Sam and Jesse are going to do. And he's like, so Sam and Jesse, like, Jesse and I have, like, a plan, but since you and Fee are both going to be gone, oh man, we're a man down. And so maybe we should try to bring like one other person into the fold, somebody who maybe is already in the fold and is maybe like, you know, could throw people off the set because they're like a little bit older. And Michael's like, you want to use my mom? And Sam's like, oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. Yes, I'm absolutely calling Madeline, <laughs> which I, I enjoyed. That, we've done this particular scene a couple of times now, but it's still good every time. And it's I very love funny it's every always time. Sam's idea. It's always Sam's idea. He, it's her, that's his best friend. That's his, his best other friend. best friend. <laughs> I just, I still haven't gotten over that Sam has two best friends, and they are Michael Weston and his mother. Yeah, it's just really good. It's just, it's, it's always super really good. good. So speaking of Madeline, Sam and Jesse head to her house to like pitch her on this idea. And the idea is that they need her to steal from the police with a fake ID Jesse made for her, where she, her age is listed as fifty two, and she's like. My age is listed as 52. And Jesse's like, oh, well, you know, that's the thing with spies. You got to when you're making a fake ID, you got to put down the, the age that you look, not the age that you are like with basically a wink, even though he doesn't literally wink. And she's like, all right, fine. I'll help. <laughs> Which I also enjoyed. I did enjoy. So, yeah, so she she's in. She's willing to do it. And now we have a, a Sam, Jesse, Madeline plot and a Michael Fiona plot. And I'm not mad at it. That's a good um, so, breakdown. <laughs> it is a good breakdown. I enjoy this. Uh, so we have our, our single scene in, in Puerto Rico where Michael and Fee are like scoping out their target and looking for like a way in. Basically, I, we, I don't think we know the full details of what's going on yet, but like Oswald is living in Puerto Rico under an assumed name and he's got like a bunch of bodyguard mercenaries like patrolling the compound. So Fiona explodes a car love that for her to like create a diversion that like will draw all of the guards to one area. And then Michael goes and kidnaps the guy. And there really isn't anything else to this scene. Michael successfully kidnaps the guy who uh, 
amazingly does not like being kidnapped. And then they head back to Miami. Yeah, we, this <laughs> is it. when we are meeting Oswald. Oswald as a guy, it's so, it's, and they don't quite get enough out of the tension of this. Oswald as a guy does not seem like a guy who has a bunch of mercenaries guarding his, like, compound Yeah, at no, all. not at all. Not like, at all. He He's a very weird type. He's also not even really the type for, like, a hacker software guy. No. Like, he's like he's, he's like, like the type to be like like a the the lackey. Like he he looks like he works in retail. You know? Yeah, he looks like he works and in retail. And got like embroiled in a drug deal. <laughs> the thing is that he's not a hacker. Well, but he built he a piece of software. A, he's like a nerd. Like eventually, like we learn, I think, that he met his like girlfriend on WoW or something. Like that's the type that no, they're going No, no, no. He he met her because she stole his identity and he tracked oh, her the, down. The, but and they asked play her out. WoW together. They yeah, do we'll play talk WoW about together, the, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. They play WoW together. And like and like she's sort of nerdy too. So I think like that's the thing that they're going for with this character, is that he's supposed to be like a nerdy guy, but not like a hacker guy. He's not But he, he could cool. hack well enough to like be able to track down his identity theft queen and to build a program that can wipe a person's identity from government facilities. Exactly. But like yeah, the thing is, like, he is, plot-wise, his plot function is to be a hacker, but his type is not hacker. His type is, yeah, like... Yeah, that's fair. His type is nerd. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so by the next scene... Male. <laughs> yeah, definitely beta male. So by the next scene, we are already safely back in Miami. So clearly they had no issues getting in or out of Puerto Rico. Uh, Oswald is tied up and he's being observed by Michael Weston eating a yogurt. Oswald maintains his innocence at having the Voidbot software we need, which I really liked as a name. It's called Voidbot. <laughs> and so Michael transitions from yogurt to knife and Lex lets him go, taking Oswald for a walk. And he's like, no worries, Oswald, since you clearly are on the up and up, um, I'm just going to let you go. And just to make sure that, like, you know you're safe, I'm going to let everyone know you're safe. I'm going to call the police to tell to turn myself in for kidnapping you. Maybe I'll even call the Herald to let them know, hey, everybody, Oswald's safe. And, you know, that does the trick. Oswald is sufficiently, like, cowed from being a little pill and is like, all right, fine, Michael, I'll tell you the full story. So the full story is that Oswald developed this virus for a drug dealer named Xavier, but before he could like use it, he got caught and immediately turned state's evidence, uh, not on a, Xavier apparently, but like he he basically like ratted on some stuff, got put in WITSEC in Puerto Rico. And unfortunately the Voidbot software is now in like an FBI lab somewhere, but yeah. he does What's have a backdoor to it. about... The fact that he's in Witsec is that, like, his compound in Wits, like, in Puerto Rico and, like, his guys don't feel like Witsec people. Like, yeah, it, it was felt it's like not really a setup. For, exactly. Well, I mean, I think they call them bodyguards a couple of times. Like a bodyguard. But like, they're yeah. definitely mercenaries. Like, yeah, I don't. And then also, does Witsec usually put people in, like, a big fancy compound in Puerto Rico? Exactly. I don't think that's the thing that they do. Like, so it's unclear if he's in Witsec or if he just ran or if he ran or like what is going on with him. Like he definitely gave his stuff to the FBI, but he may have also, I don't know. It's unclear. Yeah. There's a couple of like just tiny little logic details in this episode that don't quite connect because it is daddy's episode. But overall, again, I really enjoyed this episode. I really, there no, was, me too. 
there's some stuff to like about it. So yeah, so we we know th- so we we know that the FBI in Miami has the Voidbot software and we also know that Oswald has like a backdoor. He basically made himself a couple of like keys and somehow got the information where if he wants to go get Voidbot at any point, he totally can. And all of that information is with an associate. It's interesting that the back door, I feel like in hacking things, they always say like, yeah, that was what I was expecting too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Normally it's like a bit of code that's in the software that you can access, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of like thing like that. But But no, no, he literally means like a key card. He has a fake ID essentially. (laughs) Yeah. It's and and like a a, the safe, the vault password. The vault that apparently hasn't been changed in years. I don't know. Bad security system, although I guess not really bad security system. We'll get to that. So uh, as Oswald and Michael are having this conversation and wrapping it up, Sam calls to check in before he and Maddie prep Madeline for her job. And so we we have a quick little training montage scene with Sam, Jesse, and uh, Madeline where she has to like partially deconstruct a laptop to steal information. And they have her like run it a couple of times until she can do it quickly and under pressure and without a cigarette. And I like this. I liked a little training montage. And I like the was. little training montage with Madeline, who hates computers and is like so angry the whole time. And, and like, it's like so actually like a difficult thing for her to do. Like, mm-hmm. but like, hey, she's normal Weston. She can fucking figure it out. She can figure it out. Like I like norm- normally when Madeline gets pulled into a thing, it's like she has to like be an old lady or like right do like where it's like hey, we need you to do like hardcore spy shit. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they have to, tra- but I also like that they don't just say like, this is where the, the key is, like figure it out. It's like, they actually do have to train her and we watch yeah. her like have to practice. I think that's neat. I thought it was it a good neat. little scene. I and it's too. not usually I the like kind of montage we get. Because we usually don't have to do training montages because most people on Burn Notice already know how to do stuff. And it's just sort of assumed like, if you have the right kind of technology, anybody can do this. But in this case, it's like, hey, your mom needs help figuring out technology. This is what we taught her and how she learned how to do this. I don't know. I just thought it's it was like, a nice little technology. detail. It's like, because there's like a speed element to it because she has to like freeze this like card, essentially. Yeah, she has to do uh, use uh, like canned air, like compressed yeah. air, because like once a thing is unplugged, like it wipes itself or something. So that yeah. like stops it from doing that until she can transfer it back and forth. Yeah, it's this whole little process. And she she learns how to do it. And right after we see this scene, she actually gets to employ her new skills. It's like so, the most um, cool spy thing that Madeline's ever done. Exactly. And I am loving it. This season, we've gotten a lot. Now that we've added Maddie to the like spy or to the to the like the rubric for great episodes, she has overall been involved in a lot more plots. So I think we were spot on in changing that rule when we did because I thought you're going to say we changed the future again or changed the past. (laughs) We I mean, that also could be true. But either way, I'm glad we did it. And I'm glad the writers responded retroactively to us putting that in our rubric. Mm-hmm. Well, they really want a bunch of great episodes of Burn Notice after all. But yeah, so uh, so they all head to the police station. And basically the setup for this is they figured out who the detective is in charge of the bombing. And Jesse as, what if, I guess, what if, as like, actual Jesse. What if we, like, at one point, there was someone who really loved our podcast in the future who went back in time to meet Matt Nix? And then it turned out that Matt Nix didn't exist and they had to become Matt Nix and they bootstrap paradoxed 
themselves into making burn notice based on our notes. That seems like a spec that you should write, but we don't have time for this. And also they put that painting of us in the... <laughs> <laughs> in Sam and Pat in, 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 the, in the Goodwill in Brooklyn. Yeah. Anyways, so we go to the police station. They found out the detective in charge of the bombing case. And Jesse, I think as Jesse is like, hey, man, I heard you were looking for witnesses. Well, uh, my girlfriend's somebody or something else said that she was nearby and might know something. So I brought her in. Hello, this is 52-year-old Madeline Weston. Uh, can she look through some mugshots? And so, like, Maddie pretends to be, like, all nervous. And Jesse's like, hey, man, let's go, like, let's go get a soda. Give her some space to, like, look at stuff. And so as Jesse distracts the cop with, like, his indecision about what soda to get and also his new workout regime, which involves something called Crunch Drunk, which I really liked. Uh, I love when Jesse gets to do, like, a little bit of storytelling because he's, like, yeah. he's so much more bombastic in just yeah. regular, like, mini alias and i find it very fun he is like he is so good at like doing like a certain kind of comedy in his alien it is like little characters and aliases mm-hmm. and so it's always fun when he does that like his aliases are always like more than michael's and even like chuck finley a lot of the time are always just a little bit more unhinged <laughs> and a little bit more like, I was thinking bright-eyed. Like there, there's bright-eyed. like a positivity to his aliases that yeah. I feel like like that is definitely more Chuck Finley than Michael Weston. Michael like, Weston's aliases are always like dumb as sin <laughs> or like very angry and serious. Right. And Jesse's I feel like are a little bit more bubbly and positive. But definitely and unhinged a little is bit, a good like, word. Jesse's always playing a guy who like isn't dumb but is not quite as smart as he thinks he is. The joke, like Jesse's aliases, the joke is always on the character. A hundred, yeah, definitely. And I love that about that uh, about him. Mm-hmm. I do too. I I like it a lot. Uh, so anyway, so while Jesse is talking about crunch drunk, Maddie executes her part of this plan flawlessly. Although she's a bit too slow to like fully stow her gear as the guys enter the room again, and so the detective's like, "What are you doing, ma'am?" And she's like, "Oh, sorry, I was trying to sneak a cigarette because Madeline Weston can't be flapped." unflappable the unflappable madeline weston um and then she just like points it to completely different looking cons and are like i it was one of these two and he's like all right ma'am goodbye so they leave and they were successful hooray great job madeline madeline great job madeline i love you (laughs) so michael and fee take oswald to meet his associate who oswald's being super weird about and it turns out it's daisy from bones who i like a lot but in this universe she's playing sherry and she's dressed like a 90s manic pixie dream girl and acting like a grizzled retiree who's too old for this shit is the way that i've decided to describe her but she's basically his girlfriend yeah she's his his girlfriend like she's yeah she is also like she's kind of a nerd girl is the vibe Mm mm-hmm She's a nerd girl imagined by men. Yes. She is like a dude's version of a nerd girl. (laughs) Exactly. So Fee goes inside to like learn about what's going on and Michael stays on the street to kind of keep watch. And we learn that the stuff, the back door that we need was hidden inside a vintage TV that Oswald sent to... Uh, Sherry, but Sherry was like, I'm not going to use your old ass TV at all. You didn't say anything about it. So I put it in storage and then they start arguing and she's like, this sucks. I hate this. And then Michael calls and is like, hey, 
there's some big SUVs out here. I think somebody found us. We got to get the fuck out. Unfortunately, they don't have quite enough time to like make a clean escape because a third SUV arrives. So um, Michael decides to do the thing that he's definitely done multiple times before and hold Oswald at gunpoint because for whatever reason, he thinks that Xavier, who is the one that has found them, the guy that forked over half of the payment for Voidbot, but then never actually got Voidbot used on him in his files. He need he wants to like get revenge on Oswald. And I'm not clear. This is the one of the first like little logic things where I'm like, Matt, because it's unclear what Xavier wants Oswald for. Like, does he want him to run Voidbot? Does he know that he has access to it? Or does he just want revenge? We don't really know Xavier's motives besides like, I'm pissed at this guy. He stole $5 million from me and didn't do the thing he was supposed to do. So I don't know why Michael pretending to hold him at gunpoint and saying like, I'll kill him. Let us go. And Xavier's like, all right, fine. I want him alive for some reason. Like, I just, I don't know how I'm that all I'm assuming connects. he wants Voidbot. But how does he know that he still has access to it? He knows that, like, the FBI picked him up. He knows I mean, that, does like, he know that the FBI? I think so. Because, like, he... That. Well, the reason I... that he found them is because Sherry turned him in. Because they found Sherry not long after he disappeared. And we're like, if right. he ever comes back into town, you have to tell us or we'll kill you. Yeah, I think... I think that, like, he still wants Voidbot and assumes that, like... He still wants it and assumes that, like... Oswald can deliver. Yeah, it was unclear. But in any case, Michael That was how uses, I read it, but it is unclear. Yeah, it is. It's very unclear because it's unclear who knows what at any given time. It's even unclear what Sherry knows. But regardless, they get away clean-ish. And so they head back to the loft. Fee chats with Sherry and Oswald about how everything's going to be fine. We got you. Michael's checking it out, but like, you're going to be safe. But uh, then Oswald's like, but Sherry's an innocent. I feel really bad about getting her involved. Can you get her out of here? And so Fee's like, sure, I'll get in touch with a smuggler I know. And Sherry can go with him. And so just before Sherry gets on a boat, to I think the Dominican Republic. She gives us a little bit of backstory for some reason about her and Oswald. And that's where we learned the thing about how like she stole his credit card and he tracked her down and then asked her out. And she's like, he's one of a kind. So, you know, it may seem silly, but I love the guy. And like, there's this like shot on fee where I guess it's supposed to be some sort of like meaningful metaphor for like her and Michael, even though I feel like at this point in the plot, her and Michael have worked out their issues. So I'm not yeah. really sure what the point of this exchange was or what it we're is, supposed to yeah, gain from it's it. It's weird. I don't know either. She also doesn't have any luggage. Like she just gets on a boat wearing the outfit she was wearing earlier. Like she has a purse and a, and a dress and that's it. And I'm like, what's happening? Where is she going in the Dominican yeah, Republic? A, does she like, does she know anyone? Does she speak Spanish? What's happening? No, it's like, yeah, she is not like a person. But it's important that you understand why that though this guy is a beta male, <laughs> women still want to fuck him. At least this woman does. But I don't know why seems, we need this because it seems know, like no, it's supposed to be a significant it. thing. It's for not fee, but it's, it's not, not. At all. I don't know why it's there. Because then it comes back around when they're smuggling uh, Oswald out of the country, and like he and Fee have like an almost identical conversation, and it still doesn't mean anything. So I'm not really sure why it's here. I don't know why it's there either. Okay, so um, Sam and Jesse are, meanwhile, reviewing the files that Maddie helped them steal at Carlitos when they're delivered drinks that they didn't order. And what do you know? It's Anson. And of course, he's already one step ahead and is like, hey, 
stop it. He's like, sure, one way that you could look at this evidence that I know that you've gathered is that like the police basically have nothing. But I feel that that's a very negative interpretation. What I feel is that they are one significant break in the case away from cracking it wide open. And I have that piece. So back off. And I liked that. I, it was a sort of inevitability, but I, I like the way that he does it. And I like that he does it by being, he does the thing that he does with Michael, which is like, I know about you. Like I ordered you the drinks that you would like, didn't I? Didn't I get them right? Because I'm the psychologist and I'm in your head. So that, that, that's that for that plot. And it's, it doesn't feel like we wasted that time, even if no, it definitely doesn't. in frustrating it. Yeah, I mean, that's how mystery and crime plots are supposed to go. It's like, they're supposed to be dead ends. Uh, even adventure and war movies. Sometimes you go to a casino planet and the plan that you were trying to enact doesn't go well. But that doesn't yeah. mean that it was a wasted thread. It just Especially means that sometimes things don't go perfectly. Like really strong thematic work that's like maybe the core of the thing that we're doing. Also, I think it's like boring to just watch people do things that always succeed and always connect back. Like sometimes you try something and it doesn't work out. And what you learn from that can be just as valuable as what you would exactly. have learned from a successful outing. Yeah. Anyways, back to our burn podcast. So uh, Michael and Oswald head to Sherry's storage space and it's unclear why they just like go in because they the, earlier in a scene, Michael's like Xavier definitely knows she has a storage space. If she, if he's found her, he's found her storage space. So let's go there and not check it out. But they do, they drive right up. Michael zip ties, uh, uh, Oswald to a pipe as a lookout because he still doesn't trust him. Fair. Uh, Michael grabs the key cards they need. He finds them. But right as he is grabbing them, Xavier's men find them. Xavier, Xavier, unclear. Who gives a shit? And though he could just leave Oswald there because he already has the key cards, he uses a forklift to drop like a, a portable storage unit on the bad guy's car so that they can get away without them following them and head straight for the FBI lab, which Michael now has access to. But before Michael can head inside, Oswald's like, hey, wait, before you go in there, why did you save me? You could have just left me. And Michael gives some sort of like, answer of some kind that essentially boils down to i'm michael weston i'm a good guy I'm and oswald's like <laughs> i do good things i don't do bad things if i do it it's good and oswald's like all right well michael weston good guy i have something to tell you which is that while this will all absolutely get you in and out with Voidbot, virus boy whatever i built it won't get you out clean because they have this like fancy security system uh, of RFID chips that are like super, super tiny that they'll get on to like your various crevices and they'll be able to track you with a satellite as soon as you leave the facility. So maybe don't go in there. And Michael's like, all right, I can't go in there. Even though in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, if what he's saying is that they're basically going to like blow him with RFID chips, can't he just like wear an outfit and like a hat and stuff that he immediately takes off? Yeah, it's unclear. Like, like he can't wear like a hazmat suit or this is like an episode of television where science is magic. Yeah, like the whole time I'm just like, I'm thinking of just different outfits Michael Weston can use that wouldn't look yeah. suspicious going in and would be easy to remove going out. I mean, he'd have to be like, he'd have to wear like a full body suit, wouldn't he? I mean, not necessarily. Like you, you wear a hoodie, which covers like most of your head. You wear a wig and you have like something on your face. Maybe you're wearing a mask because you're yeah. worried about the coronavirus. Maybe exactly. you're wearing sunglasses. 
maybe you're not, but like you're just kind of keeping your face away from any like ventilation system. Uh, and so you have a fairly reasonable expectation. Yeah, it's also of- like unclear how the trackers get on you. Like, yeah, are you sprayed with something? Like, well, I mean, we eventually see it. We see it comes out of a vent, basically. Yeah, it does come out there's of like, like okay, I missed there's the like a thirty no, yeah, there's like a thirty second scene of Xavier going in and using all of the backdoor stuff because Xavier goes in that basically. So we're we're about to get there, so let's just get there. So Michael's like, all right, I can't get in, but somebody else can. So what they're gonna do now is like con Xavier into going and getting the virus for them, getting tagged up. Then they will like duplicate the the virus from Xavier's theft and then set Xavier up to just like get caught with the virus. So two birds, one stone, we got the virus, but the FBI has Xavier. So we get him off of Oswald's track. This works. Um, Jesse and Sam basically take Xavier over to the facility with Oswald and hand over the backdoor stuff. And then Xavier's like, you guys stay out here until we do the thing. Then Xavier goes in and in 30 seconds, he's like, I think it's as he's going into the vault, there's like a vent nearby that blows the RFID chips onto him. And he comes out seemingly clean, but as we know, definitely tagged up. Oswald leaves with Sam and Jesse and Fee and Michael, who are dressed up as like mechanics. I don't know. They're they're in some kind of like worker uniform because they're in a very big truck, which because I guess they know the route that Xavier's going to take, they can block his exit from under an overpass so that the satellites can't see them do this. And Michael and Fee copy the virus, leave Z- let Xavier leave, but then Xavier basically pulls the cops to him. And because they only took a copy of the virus and not the virus itself, he is caught red-handed and he goes to jail forever. Then that's fine. We have the thing. Then Fee takes Oswald to her smuggler, the same smuggler as Sherry went to. And he offers one final piece of sage advice that, hey, you shouldn't use the virus. It's super bad news. Maybe I'll go find Sherry. Okay, bye. (laughs) Then Michael checks in with his mom to thank her for helping them with the case of the week. She kind of echoes Oswald and is like, you shouldn't give this virus to Anton. This guy's seen, or Anson, whatever the hell his name is. This is, this Anton, guy's bad news. Don't give it to Anton. <laughs> don't give it to Anton. Actually, Anton's, Anton's not even asking for it, so I don't know why you're giving it to Anton. <laughs> anyway, so they bond over the bad choice he has to make, and then Michael frets over his return security review results the next day. But the next day, as expected, Pierce reveals that he is still off the books, but his clearance is back, baby. But that also turns out to be kind of a bad thing, because in our final scene, Anson reveals that, of course, just handing over the virus isn't enough. He needs Michael to use the virus with his new security clearance to wipe Anson's name once and for all. Because, yeah, I, I, I didn't really mention this because it didn't seem relevant, but, like, the entire episode, Michael's just like, we just need to get through this last job. We'll give the virus to Anson and he'll leave us alone. Like, I'll track him down later. It's fine. Like, it sucks that we're deleting all this evidence, but, like, once he's out of town, I'll, like, track him down. Or even, eventually. like, it sucks that Anson is going to delete. I think at this point they figure that they're going to give Anson the virus and then stop him from even using it. Right. I, they, they basically, he just he thinks that they're done after this, he which is hilarious. Done. Which is because of course so they're not naive. done. Michael just got a security clearance, so Michael has to be the one to do the virus because that's kind of how Anson does it. Is he sets up other people to do his dirty work? Exactly. And he it's kind unclear of why Michael and thought that this was going to be any different. Yeah, exactly. It once again, just like a couple of tweaks would have made that fit together. Like, no offense, Daddy, but if anyone other than you had written this, uh, I think it probably would have gotten short up a little bit better. There would have been a little bit more like 
dialogue that sort of set well, up like, if, what we if assumed. If you wrote this with someone. Because, like, there's yeah. a lot of really good stuff in this that is coming from him. Totally. But, like, the, the like, what he, he's good at, like, on a scene level. He's good at some interactions. He's really good at action sequences. But, like, the tying it all together cleanly. Yeah. And making sure that technology isn't just magic. <laughs> those, are, those are just, like, little dropped details I mean, that somebody else would have picked up. I do think that, like, using technology as magic is, like, an aesthetic choice that I'm, like, fine with. But it's an aesthetic choice that doesn't make sense for the established rules of the Burn Notice universe. Kind of. But I also kind of, I am willing for an episode of television, as long as, like, it establishes its own rules very clearly at the beginning, that I'm I'm sort of cool with. Like, I actually, especially on a show like this that is so episodic, I don't mind as much if, like, the show's view of technology changes from week to week. It doesn't mess with my like immersion or whatever it's just you know but like i didn't even mind that it was that rfid chips are like magic i'm just mad that the explanation given was easily moved around like i would have been fine if they sent uh what's his name in instead after they were like well we could definitely get around this but let's actually use this to our advantage but that's not what they do they're just like shit i can't go in now there's no way around these rfid chips yeah. I'm just saying. No, no, it didn't bug me as much, but I get it. Well, it, it's hard. It doesn't bug you as much when you're not recapping. The logic drops are not as obvious. It's not necessarily like a logic drop as much as like um, a lot of times for me personally, if a story has like a certain narrative it wants to tell and like some of the like scaffolding or whatever, like some of the like itty bitty bits of like the logic of not the story logic of like the character motivations or the themes or whatever, but like the mechanical bits where it's like, yeah, a different thing could have happened. Those don't bother me as much. Those bother um, me because there are things that could easily get shored up and are opportunities for nice little moments. Like we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how one of my favorite things about Michael Horowitz is even in transitionary scenes, there's always something going on. And the same is true for like, like, it could be true for other episodes. And I, I feel like there's just, there's a lack of attention to detail that bugs me. It's, it's, there's just a level of carelessness that I don't like. And I think there is for me too, but like our levels are different. Sure. But like, I'm never going to be like the person who's like, there was room for Jack on the thing on the door in Titanic. It's like, oh yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not being like that, but I'm saying like, there is an I mean, obvious it is gap though, you're kind here. Of like, there was a way around the RFD, you know what I mean? Like, but in a way that like, I feel like burn notice previously would have dealt with. I mean, like sometimes, but it's also like, they're in a hurry. Like, I don't know. I, it was, it didn't bug me. Whatever. Yeah. That's the end of the episode. Do you want to talk about spy tips really quick? Uh, let's do some spy tips. Yeah. Okay. So it's about next episode. So there's quite a few, there's one or two that might be repeats. So you'll have to let me know, but, uh, oh, I'm not going to remember. I don't remember what happened next last <laughs> week. Anyways, number one, creating a good diversion isn't just about making noise and firing guns. It's about giving the enemy the impression that he's being attacked in a way that demands the immediate attention of all of his forces. Ideally, something big and very, very loud. Like, yeah, this could have been a thing that we've gotten before, but I don't remember. And it's a good tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's useful. It's 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 basically classic magician misdirection. Yeah. With explosions. Exactly. And like specifically being like, it's not just misdirection. It's like the misdirection needs to be a thing that will like immediately require everyone. Yeah. Like that's the like that's the tip is that it's like like you can't just have a guy shooting or whatever because then like another guy shooting can go do that. It's got to be like a thing that we're immediately 
like everyone yeah, it needs to feel like panic. a full-scale assault yeah so that like that require you know that that seems like it's going to kind of quickly outmatch their initial and, like, forces. mobilize everyone towards exactly, yeah. thing yeah yeah cool all right number two and this is the madeline tip um, information stored in a DRAM chip was long considered impossible to steal. It's automatically erased when the chip's removed. The one way to preserve the information in a DRAM chip is by freezing it immediately after you take it out of the computer. A long application of compressed air from your local drugstore will keep the memory intact long enough to get what you need. It's possible, but far from easy, and you don't want to get caught, so it takes a practice. This is cool. I like this. Yeah, I like it. No I like this montage. Is true, but it's cool. I, yeah, as I have hell. no idea either. But yeah, no, I, I, I huge if true. As per usual with burn notice tips, huge if true. All right, number three. In a situation where you're trying to keep someone from being captured, your best leverage is often the life of the very person you're trying to protect. The trick is convincing the bad guys that you're willing to kill their prize before you let them have it. This is another one where I feel like we've probably yeah. seen this before. Like, yeah. But I appreciate that, like, it's like, hey, if you're trying to protect someone, it may be counterintuitive to use them as bait. But if you use them as bait, you might actually more successfully protect them. Yeah, sure. I can take it. And there's there's a couple more. So like we, if you don't want to, I'm not. Yeah, I don't have strong. I I don't have strong feelings either way. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Number four. It, when you're surprised by an enemy who has you outgunned, your first instinct is naturally going to be try to run. This can be a serious tactical mistake. Sometimes it's less important to get away immediately than it is to make your enemy make sure that your enemies can't follow. This is like that last one where it does feel like something that we probably might have had before but i can't remember a specific in- instance and especially like looking at the way it happens in the episode it seems i solid. don't know if, i actually don't know if we've seen this before because usually they do run away you know usually they like they slow them down um you know like like they'll they'll blow up something to cover them but they're still effectively like shit we got to run away let's just try to like throw a filing cabinet between us as we run down this corridor kind of a thing this is the first time that he's like actually don't run away do something offensive first and then and run. then run away i don't know we can keep it yeah it's like i think like this one and the last one are like they're halfies yeah they're halfies like yeah and i think like, uh, this okay. episode's gonna get Spy tips, yeah. It's going to get tips, so, like, it's fine. It's fine. All right, number five. Active security systems are built to keep people out. Passive systems, on the other hand, don't prevent security breaches. They help you catch the bad guy after he leaves. They're often cheaper and more effective. Plus, they let you know who your enemies are, which is already a thing that I I kind of dig about this. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. If you constantly keep people out, you don't actually know who's trying to get in. But if you let them in and then track them on their way out, you already know. Anyways, there's more to this tip. Micro RFID tags work like anti-theft tags in department stores, only they're a lot smaller and stick to clothes, shoes, and even hair. Once activated, they transmit a response to a coded signal. From there, it's easy for surveillance satellites to lock on and follow a high-value target. And the best part is, the art, the target never even knew it happened. Yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff here. I'm very into it. Mm-hmm. I yeah, want all to useful. know more about these things, because they, again, they seem slightly magical, but also seem, like, very real. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that makes you wonder, like, have you ever in your life had one of these things? Like, probably not. But like it's it's one We're of those things really that makes you think targets. about the implications of technology and what is technically what is possible. <laughs> and you go, oh, oh, we live in a scary world. 
<laughs> yeah, this is great. Yeah, that's how I feel about uh, deep fakes. Like the more sophisticated deep fakes that oh, are now yes. just like basically filters, like Snapchat filters. Like that's how easy they are to do deep fakes. And I'm like, this is so bad, you guys. Oh, do you yeah, guys not get terrifying. that this is super bad? No, it's so terrifying. And we all know it's terrifying, but we also just keep doing it. Yeah, don't like it. Hate it, in fact. All right, number six. One of the nice things about sending a full-scale homeland security response after your enemies is the fact that you can get the resources of every branch of law enforcement, which means they generally catch whoever they're after and they don't listen to excuses. So this was just like, I didn't really, I don't really think about the differences between the different departments or how homeland security is distinct. And I, it, it was useful for me to think, okay, if I can figure out a way to get Homeland Security response, then I'm not just getting the response of one agency, I'm getting a response from all of them. And that's not right. necessarily something I would have initially thought about. It's another one of those things that's also slightly scary. <laughs> nice to remember that, like, I think we talked a bit when this show started about how that this felt like a very specifically like bush era show even if like it was even happening though it was the during the end. obama era like yeah this feels like that sure yeah no i'll take this yeah so that's six so there are at least five practical spy tips which is pretty common for a matt next episode so i wasn't worried about that uh do they solve the weekly case with spycraft over violence mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's spycraft there's espionage there's rfid chips there's, there's madeline so doing cool spy stuff yeah exactly um, there was not a distinct or returning alias, unfortunately. Michael Weston was pretty much just Michael Weston the whole time. Mm -hmm. But definitely two characters were used well because straight off the bat, Fee blows something up and Madeline is in the case of the week. So like right yeah. away, they got it. Is Sam peak Bruce Campbell at any point? Uh, not really. Yeah, he, he was kind of backburnered this episode. Like he had a couple of good moments. You know, he was good in the scenes that he was in. But, but yeah, broadly not. speaking, yeah, he was just there. Uh, and then was Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? He did that fun character. He did that fun character. Like, and we, I think in it this was... episode, identified a thing about Jesse that we've noticed that is a unique Jesse thing. Yeah. And in addition to that, I think that he approaches this guy as himself because he has exactly. the credibility of somebody who officially works for somewhere and has security clearance. And like, um, that's just a thing that he can just do that they don't have to manufacture for him. Totally. But I also think it's important to, like, notice this thing that is distinct about the way that he does aliases, because I could envision episodes in the future where he's not using his clearance or anything, but he is doing that specific alias thing. But, like, does that make him a distinct addition? Like, just because I mean, his, like, they've distinguished his character better doesn't necessarily mean that his function in the show is distinct. But, I mean, that's sort of... But also, it's not, like, part of the point of the show to give us distinct characters. I don't know what show you're watching, but <laughs> no. Is this not a show about characters? Characters are welcome, Bree. That's true. Characters are. Was this the era that characters were welcome? This is super the era that characters were welcome. This was like <laughs> prime characters welcome time. This is like foundational to characters welcome. <laughs> well, in addition to characters being welcome, this is a great episode of Burn Notice, undoubtedly. Was it a great episode of television? I wouldn't go that far now. No, I wouldn't not. either. It's like, it's again, it's probably one of my favorite Matt Nixes. Yes. Possibly same. second favorite after the one that we did officially consider to be a great episode of television. Um, but yeah, there was just, there were too many little logic 
bumps that I had that like would have been easy cleanups and like it wasn't quite as unified around a particular theme. But I did really enjoy that like it's a break from structure in, you know, we yes, don't need I did a client too. of the week. We can just do two separate investigations about the macro plot. And exactly. one of them and even still... fails, which is something we also don't get very often. There yeah. was a lot of and stuff like, this episode fair, was doing that I enjoyed. Like Oswald is the client of the week. Ish. It's not like he's not. Like, not to overstate. But, like, but I, right. But I mean, like, it's not a separate, like, so there's the spy plot. It's not and a separate thing. It's all There's this little the plot they have to deal. Exactly. Yes. And I like that. I, they I don't do, do that very often. I always want Burnettis to do this. Like, I mean, it is my thing about Burnettis that I don't want it to be a procedural. I mean, that's the difference between you and me. I know. Anyway, just an episode of television, but like a great episode of Burnettas, and like a fun episode of television that I did enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. Also, super easy to recap because like each scene has one thing that happens in it. And sometimes like three or four scenes will have like basically one thing happening in it. And so while there was some fun detail stuff, you know, watching them work, ultimately, like it was a very fast recap. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. You have blessed us once again. <laughs> And once again, we, Brie and Chris, are blessed similarly by Vincent D.L. because they made our theme music. If you want more of Vince's music, head to vincentdl.bandtamp.com. And until next week, bye. I really appreciate it, Daddy. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. Daddy, will you give Love us a kiss goodnight? Daddy. daddy, will you buy us a house with a smaller house behind it? Daddy, will you buy us a house? Can we, have a, can we have a house and then another smaller house? Daddy, can we have a house, Daddy? It's on a house. With a guest with house. house. Daddy. Daddy, I want a house and an apartment. I don't or want an apartment, Daddy. House. I just want a house. I want a house and some goats by the seashore. Daddy. I want an apartment in the city and then a house in the country. But not like the country country because that's dirty. Yes, gross, Daddy. You know how I don't like to be dirty, Daddy. Well, except for in some ways, Daddy. <laughs> I don't like dirt. Or sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>